Will you stand and join me in the call to worship? I am doing a new thing, says our God. Seek me and desire truth and mercy, calls God. Let us worship our God. Let us pray. When we break every covenant you have ever made with us, gracious God, write repentance on our hearts. When we act like rebellious children, turning our backs on your invitation to liberation from sin, write repentance on our hearts. When we preach to others what we do not yet practice, write repentance on our hearts. Write repentance and then write forgiveness, gracious God, so that we can try again to be your faithful people. Amen. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. Good morning. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is a joy uh, to have all of you in worship. If you're visiting with us, we welcome you here today. We have a sort of an odd ritual. You'll notice on the bulletin there's a little tear-off tab there. Uh, you can give us more information about yourself. Uh, there's also things to sign up for on there that are coming in the future. Um, one thing that's happening, some work that we're doing in the community along with several other churches is sponsoring uh, Monday evening opportunities for folks to have some meals, particularly folks um, who are hungry in our community. And we are hosting one tomorrow night. Faith, food, and fasting will be downstairs in Fellowship Hall. 
Um, a number of you have signed up for that. If, if you haven't had an opportunity, you'd like to come and help serve for that and be a part of it, we'd love to have you come tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. Coming up in just a few weeks uh, is Holy Week. Um, there'll be some special services uh, that particular week. Particularly, uh, I want to draw your attention to the Christian Seder meal that will be held uh, on Monday, Thursday of that week. Again, it'll be downstairs in Fellowship Hall as well. It's a worship service, but it, it takes place in the context of a meal. We'll eat a kind of a catered meal together, which is why we need you to sign up. We need to know how much food to get. But we'll also, in the context of that, go through the liturgy of kind of what a normal uh, Passover would be in the Jewish faith, only recognizing Jesus as our Passover lamb. As such, um, there um, are bitter herbs that we need to, to eat that are doused in the tears of the of the Hebrew people. There are the bricks and the mortar that built the, the building projects of the pharaohs that, that the, our ancient faithful ancestors were a part of. And we will re-experience all of that during that meal and would love to have you be a part of that. By the way, it is a, a meal and a worship service that's really designed uh, as a teaching event for the whole family. So little children are definitely welcome to be a part of this service. As you know, we're involved in a number of mission outreach uh, opportunities, both here in our own church and community, but in the greater Chicago region and around uh, the world. Today we have a, a special opportunity for you to hear about one of those very unique and, and uh, powerful ministries here in Chicago. And to introduce the speaker uh, for the night ministry is uh, Susan Eddington. Susan? Um, as you know, every month we try to have a minute for mission of different ministries and organizations that we support as a community. And this morning we uh, have Julie Delazine coming to speak to us about the night ministry. Hey, Susan. How many of you have heard of the night ministry before? Ooh, a good number. Great. Have any, has anyone volunteered with us in the past? One? Okay, good. Just a couple around. No, that's great. Um, the Knight Ministry was founded in 1976, and our founding question was, where are the congregations on the nighttime streets? Uh, we meet you know, during the day to worship and to, and to serve and to do different things. And so we wonder, where are the people of faith at night? And so 18 congregations, mostly in the Lakeview and Lincoln Park neighborhood in Chicago, um, came together from all different faith backgrounds, Jewish and Catholic and Presbyterian and Lutheran. And um, they hired one minister to walk the streets at night. Um, and he would hang out at bars and maybe not the usual places you would expect to find a minister. Um, but what he learned um, was how our organization grew. And one of the things that he learned was that there are a lot of homeless, unaccompanied youth, kids between the ages of 14 and 21, who were in that neighborhood, who had come from across the country from across the city um, to meet up with other homeless youth in that neighborhood. Um, today, 10,000 youth are homeless in Chicago each year, and two or 3,000 on any given night. There are only a little over 100 shelter beds for homeless youth, and about 30 of those are emergency shelter beds where they can call up and say, I need a bed for tonight. And the night ministry has the majority of those. So, you know, 30 beds, two or 3,000 youth. It's a big disparity there. Um, so, so part of our, our ministry and our outreach is to youth on the streets. We have, um, some, we have a van that goes to the corner of uh, Belmont and Halstead. If any of you are familiar with Blue Man Group, it's right across from Blue Man Group. And um, they, we have a congregation, congregations come and serve meals to the youth two nights a week. We also have uh, two youth shelters. One is for pregnant and parenting teen moms. And the other is for, for youth in general, some who are pregnant and parenting. Um, the other thing that, that the minister found on the streets was that, was that there were a lot of people who were either lonely, or who were homeless, or who were on the edge of becoming homeless, or needed um, medical attention, perhaps, or were unable to access medical attention. And so our other program is our outreach and health ministry program. And this is a very much smaller version of our health outreach bus. Has anyone seen our bus around? 
around the city. There's a couple. Okay, great. Um, so on our bus, in the back of the bus, there's a nurse's station. And our nurse practitioner is able to see people who have um, medical needs, who are unable to perhaps go to a hospital or scared to access traditional medicine. Um, and so she, you know, she'll attend to people, but also hear their stories. She was saying the other night that there was one woman who came and um, she, was, she was a drug addict and she was helping her with some of the abrasions on her arms. And, um, and through that experience, through talking with her, kind of a story spilled out about how she had just been evicted from her home and how she was really scared that night. And so our nurses are even able to offer pastoral care. Um, we also have congregations, again, who come and serve meals with the outreach bus. We, have, uh, we go to six nights, uh, six nights a week, six spots around the city, and people know to expect us there. Um, we go to the same places each night, trying to build relationships with people, because we think that's really important. Um, and so there are lots of different ways to get involved. We have over 300 congregations that are, that are involved in different ways. Um, and I think that's really important because these issues are so big that I think it takes a lot of, a lot of groups of people thinking about these issues. Um, so again, we have congregations who come and serve meals. We have individual volunteers who serve on the bus. Um, sometimes congregations will put together hygiene kits or bake cookies um, or at the holidays, we have a big holiday celebration on the streets. Um, so lots of different ways to get involved. I'd be happy to um, be in the back afterwards and take questions as well. So thank you so much for having me here. Really appreciate it. Julie, thank you very much. And you heard what she said. She'll be available uh, to answer your uh, questions in the back and uh, have a chance to do that. Uh, we welcome you too. Children of the congregation, would you join me this morning for our morning lesson together? Come on, George. Come on. All right, guys. Come on. Hey, it's just us today, huh? All right. Is he hiding out? Is that it? Okay. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Coming on up. Excellent. All right. That's good. Now, lately, some of you in, in Sunday school, I know that some of the folks in in town and our after-school program have been learning about the Ten Commandments. Have you heard about those? Nope, sort of? Yeah. You have? Yeah. They're just, they're in the Bible where, where God told uh, the, the people of Israel, he said, here are these important things and, and don't forget them. They're important to do. And if you want to follow me, you'll need to do that. Remember, I am the Lord your God. Don't forget about me. Don't steal don't kill people. It's a pretty basic list. It all fits on, on one sheet of paper like this. And, and that, you know, that would be pretty simple to follow, right? We could just, you could memorize those real easy, right? But by Jesus' day, by the time Jesus was around, people had kind of expanded that list and, and, and made it bigger. They made it into a 616 different laws, way over 600 of them. Now, could you memorize those, do you think? That wouldn't be, that'd be hard, wouldn't it? We put them over here, so we got those Ten Commandments, and then we've got these, six, these 600 rules and laws that people were expected to keep. If you really wanted to follow God, you were supposed to keep those 600 laws. And then after that, about the same time as Jesus, there were some people, um, some, some scribes, some Pharisees, some, some guys who, who studied those laws, and they said, you know, here are some other laws that it would be really good to help you understand to understand those laws. So they added a whole bunch of those, and those were called the Talmud. See? And if you really wanted to follow God, it was really good to know all of that stuff. Right? And then some guys came along after that, and they studied the Talmud, and they wrote some other ideas, and that was called the Mishnah. And, and so that was a whole bunch more stuff. And, and that added up to about like this. Actually, if you've ever seen it, it's, it would fill up a huge bookcase, all of the books. Now, that's getting to be a lot of stuff. Could you remember everything in all of those books? 
And that's just a sample. Well, that's right. That's a lot, isn't it, to follow God? But then, God told the prophet Jeremiah, he said, a day is coming. A day is coming when I will write my law on your hearts, and I'll be your God, and you'll be my people. Now, by writing my law on your hearts, he didn't mean he was going to, like, open us up and take out a pencil or something or a magic marker and actually write on your heart. He meant that a time is coming when you won't have to just memorize stuff and follow rules, but that you'll know God just like you know somebody else and that you'll know about him deep inside, deep inside of you. And knowing him, you'll be able to love him and follow him because you know him so well. So what do you think is better? That second part, to know this God personally or to have to know all the stuff in these books? Not even a contest, huh? Nope. And that's what happened when Jesus came along. Jesus said, follow me. Come to know me. And if you do that, the Father and I will come and be with you and will live inside of you and you will know us very, very much. That's what happened with Jesus. You guys want to pray with me? Loving God, we thank you that we don't have to learn about you just in books or even in the Bible as wonderful as it is, but that you yourself want us to know you deep inside us, deep in our hearts, to love you and to follow you there. So that if we lose the book or we don't have the Bible, we still have your voice inside of us and we know you're there. And we thank you. And all God's people say, Amen. All right. During this Lenten season, we've been talking about the cross-centered life. And as part of that, we've, we've suckered. I mean, we've, uh, we've actually gotten some folks to volunteer to, be, uh, to share with us um, some of those rough spots on the road of following Christ, those moments of adversity, those potholes on the road. And, and today, uh, Barbara Silligmuller has graciously uh, agreed to come and let us sort of interview her and, uh, and talk to her a little bit about some moments of adversity. Barbara, you've, uh, you've been here at Yorkfield for a couple of years. You were here, um, you and I started about the same time, right? I was seven when I came to be a pastor and... <laughs> That was the Doogie Hauser of my day. Now you're, so you've, you have been a member here since 1957, and um, um, in that time you've, you've been an elder, you've done all kinds of stuff in the church, you've also worked with uh, Elizabeth Circle for over a quarter of a century or so, and um, you were kind of um, a, okay, officially an old-timer at Yorkfield. I know that about 10 years ago, uh, in 1999, um, things were going well with you, and yet you came home one evening and you heard on your answering machine, of all things, this pretty ominous voice that said, uh, Barbara, um, I made an appointment with you tomorrow for an oncologist and a surgeon. You need to go. The voice of your doctor. And that was just like, whoa. Well, I hadn't been feeling good. And I went to the doctor. I, my intern was at Loyola. And they did some tests and so forth. And then, like Mike said, I went in for CAT scan and an MRI. And by the time my husband and I got home, I was on my answering machine already. That tomorrow, I had an appointment at Loyola with the oncology gynae surgeon. So we went, and uh, he went over all my records in the world. He said he thought that I had an ovarian tumor, which was part of my problem. He said the trouble with ovarian tumors is uh, by the time you realize that you have it, there aren't really tests previous to that. It's very 
it's almost too late. And it was very serious surgery and sort of get my family together. Get your, get your family together. Well. Words that you always want to hear. <laughs> so I'm taking, it was a pretty scary time. It was, it was very scary. And we all were very nervous about it and so forth. Of course, you know me in that story, I'm here. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, the night before the surgery, we were home in bed and uh, I was tossing and turning and uh, crying and I finally got up. I went in the other room and I opened my Bible. And, you know, when you open the Bible, you get sounds. Well, I got sounds 56. It was just, the Lord was just directed me to it. So I read it and read it and read it. And it talked about, put your trust in the Lord and God comes your tossing and he comes, puts all your tears in a bottle and that what can man do to you when God is on your side? So I just kept reading it over and over and I prayed and finally I went to bed. And the next morning we got up and the children came and picked up George and I and off we went to Loyola. So it was a pretty scary time up until that night. So the reading of the Bible, where were, were you still afraid when, after you finished that? Well, when I woke up the next morning, I just got up and it was like all my burdens and all my problems, everything was gone. I just felt relieved. I knew God loved me and he was in charge and I didn't need to be afraid one way or the other. If it turned out bad, all right. If it turned out good, all right too. So we went to the hospital and they have that little preparing room, you know, and Mike was there and my children were there. My one son was so nervous he had an accident on two nights before. And the oncologist uh, assistant was there and the um, the guy that gives you the anesthesiologist. Yeah. And they're all saying this and this. And I'm saying, don't worry, it's going to be fine. Don't worry. And I think they thought I was on something. <laughs> <laughs> they hadn't even given you drugs yet. <laughs> no. But I think really what I was on was the Holy Spirit. That God was in me and that He was protecting me and caring for me. And so. I went into surgery, and four hours later, they, I went into recovery, and they, the doctor talked to my husband, and he said that uh, they took out over a five-pound ovarian tumor, and the thing was, in my appendix, which was also infected, the thing was that it was uh, encapsulated, that none of the cancer cells had metastasized. It, they got the whole thing. So I... That was it. That was that was it. So that. God works through us in different ways, and the, I know a lot of people have had a lot of illnesses and go through a lot of things. But the thing to remember is that once you're on, you're with God, He's with you all the time, and that He's in you, and that you don't really need to be afraid. Just trust in the Lord, and somehow it works out. I went out follow up on that a little bit, just trusting in the Lord, because uh, eight years after that, and just really two years ago this month, um, you lost your husband, George, that you'd known since you were 16 and been married to for over 60 years, a whole different kind of, ab of, of adversity and of pain. Can you talk about that a little bit? Where was God for you in, in, in all of that? Or has God been, I should say? I know a lot of people have lost their husbands in their lives. It's a really hard time. But like Mike said, I met George in high school. So we grew up together. I was only 16. And we went through the war and children and everything. We had our ups and downs. But I was just devastated. It, I just, C.S. Lewis, I read some of his books on grief, and he talks about an invisible wall comes down, and it's like you're looking through the world through a glass. And that was how I've been. I'm doing better, but it's like everybody's different, and I'm different. It's just I can't seem to get into the, the thing of life, really. But anyhow, George was, when you marry, they say two become one. Well, we did. We did everything together. And he was a kind, gentle man that cared for me deeply, and every wish that I 
could want, he just fulfilled. And we just were very, very close. And it was very, I know that I was happy to have him and blessed to have him for so many years. But I think as you get older, you, and you go through illnesses, he had a lot of illnesses, I did too, you become closer because you really realize that the time is drawing nigh. And uh, that was really it. But, oh, uh, that was in just two years ago this month. Well, then in the summer, or was it fall, Paul F. Buren called me, and the, they had started this. Oh, the mentoring, the, yeah. our little mentoring program, the one-on-one. The Spiritual, -on Spiritual friends. Spiritual friends, yeah. yeah. And said, would I be her uh, spiritual friend? And I said, Pauline, I'm old enough to be your mother. <laughs> so she said, no, no, Barb, we've always had a good... So anyhow, we started meeting. We meet twice a week, I mean twice a month. And um, we've been through, she's been, they've been through some rough spots, and we have too. And we've talked about this. We do Bible reading, we do prayer, but over the last year or two, the emptiness that I've felt for my husband has just been empty. But I've been working through prayer and Bible reading and going to church and small groups and everything I can become closer. I think as Christians, we need each other. And to become more into the, I said to Mike, it's like when you're swimming, you start out at the shore and you splash around and then you get a little bit more into it. But finally, you get into the deep water, and that's what I'm getting into with the Lord now. The Holy Spirit is working in me to fill this emptiness that I've felt. And it's, it's becoming easier, and I'm, I'm doing better. And um, the only reason I'm really talking about this is that if it can help somebody else to move a little closer to the Lord, um, the Holy Spirit brings, when the Lord said, I will not leave you, I'll leave a comforter for you, and he did. He brought the Holy Spirit. There was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit is in us, and he works for us, and he's brought me comfort and much peace. Barbara, I, I thank you for, for sharing. You, you talk about that wonderful time when you were afraid going into surgery, and in and, and that moment, God took your fear instantaneously away. It was gone completely. It was a different kind of Right. And now you're in this different place, and, and God has not chosen to take the pain of losing George away, and maybe that's a, maybe God shouldn't. But, but you've said that he's sent his Holy Spirit to be with you, and, and you're now learning what that means. And I appreciate you for sharing that and for being willing to share that with us and for your ministry to us through this. God bless you. Thank yeah. you.
Lord, help us open our hearts to your word so we can understand it fully and act upon it so together we can make the world a better place. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You can find this passage, page 520, in the Old Testament. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Our second lesson from today comes from the prophet Jeremiah. Listen to these words of God for you this day. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest says the Lord, for I will forgive their inequity and remember their sin no more. These are the words of our God. Thanks be to God. Promises are made and promises are broken. She often reminds me, Mom, it's 9.15 tonight. Yes, Katie. I promise to pick you up from dance and to, and before I know it, this promise that I've made to my daughter, I've become preoccupied in my own world. I lose track of time, the meeting runs long, I need to talk to someone afterwards, and before I know it, I've reneged on my own promise. I told her I would be there, and I'm not. The executives of AIG signed contracts assuring them bonuses. Now, I don't know the details of this contract. I don't know if their bonuses were structured so that at the year end payment would be made only if certain measurable goals were achieved, or was this the kind of bonus that would be paid out no matter if the business decisions were good or bad? I don't know. Our government made a promise to offer a level of financial security so that giants like AIG would not go under or lead our nation into economic instability. With taxpayer money bailing out fiscal miscalculations, it's no wonder that the public is irate, feeling betrayed by the best and the brightest, they call themselves, for taking what they feel has been promised to them. Promises are made and promises are broken. The Hebrew scriptures endow us with many examples of covenants. God promises to set the people free and on God's timeline, the Hebrew slaves are freed. 
Yet it is no time at all before their wandering in the desert turns into whining. We are thirsty. We're hungry. Please take us back to Egypt. It was so much better there. At the base of Mount Sinai, the people grow weary waiting for God's word to be delivered to them by Moses. How long will he stay up on that mountain? And needing something, needing something to worship, they can't help themselves. They craft a golden calf. So much for a little gratitude while they await God's commandments on how to live faithfully. God made a covenant, and time and time again, the people break it. We whine about it, we discard it. Binding agreements are made and broken. And yet, God never gives up on us. Never. Let's face it, we all have good intentions, but we stray. Can you remember your New Year's resolution? To whom did you last make a commitment? What was your promise to them? Were you able to follow through on it? I cannot even keep a Lenten vow to give up chocolate for six weeks, for heaven's sakes. I am weak. I am undisciplined. I am a sinner. We all are sinners. And our actions and our thoughts and our inaction separate us from God and from one another. God knows this, and God sees this. And thankfully, God responds. After the heartache of having the people break the covenant, not just once, but again and again, how does God respond? God remains faithful. God remains present, and God devises a new plan. Surely the days are coming, says the Lord, days of a new covenant. For God has witnessed that in our human frailty, we still sin. We know the law. We've read all those books that Mike laid on the communion table, and still we cannot follow it. But in these days, in the days of the new covenant, God refocuses from our head to our heart. In our human frailty, we have proven that although we know the ways of God intellectually and in our minds, it does not always translate into action, into a way of life. So instead, God tries a new thing. God goes internal. Rather than depending on our cognitive abilities, God focuses on the very intimate, our inward core, the very source of life. God's longing for relationship with us means that the holy will now plant the law on our hearts. Like a personal tattoo that is carved in our innermost spirit, God will write the law on our hearts. This bond is permanent and forever. There is no washing it off. There is no fading of it over time. The covenant is not written on stone like those first 10 covenants, but on the soft tissue of human potential, says Pastor Susan Andrews. In earlier covenants, God offered an external sign as a way for both God and for us as the people to remember. Think back through those stories when Noah, with Noah, God's sign was to paint a bow, to paint a colorful rainbow in the sky so that God would remember and would never again destroy all the earth with floodwaters. Moses carried those stone tablets of the Ten Commandments, and eventually the people carried them in the Ark of the Covenant. Generations passed, and these laws for faithful living were discarded, left in some dusty closet in the back corner of the temple. But in this new covenant, 
God has signed and sealed us as God's very own. No longer will we depend on three-dimensional objects to trigger a memory of a promise. We carry this seal in us. It is declarative and bold what God says. I will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall be my people. Something happens in this moment when God autographs our heart. We are claimed, named, and owned by God. And in this moment, God declares, I will forgive their iniquity and I re will remember their sin no more. All those times that we broke the promise, all those times that we whined that God was leading us down a wrong path, all those times that we turned away from this love and this grace, God remembers them no more. You may have seen on the news the, this week the parades of people loading into buses, ready to go and picket in front of the homes of those AIG employees. Surely it's a sign that we are not ready to remember no more. It's nearly impossible for us to let go of such iniquity. We go beyond memory into grudge, remembering every time a commitment is abandoned. Sometimes we want revenge. We want payback. We remember when we are forgotten. We remember when we're taken advantage of. And we remember when we're betrayed. Yet God, in this new covenant, will remember our sin no more. My daughter Emily loves Sharpie brand markers. She uses these permanent markers to record homework assignments on her hands. She writes the cell phone number of her new friend across her forearm. She even crafts beautiful poetry on her jeans. How anyone's going to get close enough to read her jeans, I probably don't want to know. She even wears these Sharpie markers as jewelry. They are the latest fashion statement. I think the vivid and wide variety of colors offered by Sharpie is appealing, but the mark they make is bold and it is permanent. There is no fading of the poetry on her jeans. God, too, uses permanent love, never fading compassion, and eternal ink to write on our hearts. I even like to believe that God has a creative flair with color and design as well. Just try to imagine what that might look like on your heart. God's indwelling, the permanent marker of God in us, is God's very spirit, that very spirit that Barbara spoke of so eloquently. It is the Holy Spirit living and residing in us. And it is this same spirit that we depend on to tell us what God's will is for us. For weeks now as a congregation, we have prayed we have talked, we have dreamed, we have envisioned, and we've had small group after small group discussion about what is God writing on the heart of this community? Where is God leading us? And I tell you, we are not done yet. There is more praying to do, more listening to do. What new shape will our heart take what new form, into what new paths is God leading us down? Discerning God's will is the work of the heart. It requires a deep introspection and a deep level of trust. We are trusting that God's spirit will reveal God's will in us, through us, through our neighbors and through one another. Soon and very soon, surely the whispering will start to come together 
and the guidance of the Holy Spirit will come together in such a way so that the words and the dreams and the desires and the prayers start to sound similar. The Holy Spirit working in us as a community. Our challenge in this is to listen and to trust and to know that God's signature on our heart is in permanent ink. I am their God and they shall be my people. People of God, I implore you, call on the Holy Spirit to, to reveal to you and to reveal to all of us God's new covenantal plan for this place and this time and for all of us as God's people. Amen. Let us now, out of gratitude to that God who has written eternally on our hearts, receive our morning offering. After our prayer together, we will sing just the first and the last verses of our final hymn, 450. Let me share these uh, uh, concerns and joys with you. First of all, some concerns, continued prayers for Jean Borneman, uh, who's awaiting uh, the results of tests. Wendy Bork asked for us to pray for uh, Gary diagnosed with ALS and uh, cousin Pat, with, who's battling cancer. Matt Resch, um, who is, many of you know, member of our congregation, a student at Princeton Seminary, was scheduled to have uh, an operation on his leg. Matt was in a 
car accident, severe one years and years ago, and uh, he's had a rod in his leg ever since, one that could, could not be removed, um, though it needs to be because of ongoing uh, infection. Um, he was supposed to be removed on the 17th, but ran into complications, and now he has to go to a super specialist in, uh, at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, he asked for your prayers and continued uh, uh, understanding as he uh, awaits this surgery in, in his life. Uh, Betty Tilden also asked for prayers for her daughter, Sue Sterna, who has a malignant tumor on her spine. Let me share these joys with you. Um, the Borchert family is blessed and pleased to announce the engagement of daughter Mary Beth to, to uh, Joel Comster from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Their wedding is scheduled for September, and they're both here in worship today, so you can greet them uh, after worship and embarrass them greatly. <laughs> there you go. Um, we've had some folks on the uh, ongoing concerns list for a while, and we are grateful we can take them off. Uh, George Koch, uh, Gary Schaefer, and Dorothy Stoner uh, are all uh, recovering wonderfully, making wonderful progress towards healing, and so we're thankful to be able to take all of them off. Also, Janet Cox, who has just been desperately waiting to become a grandmother, found out that her daughter-in-law is pregnant, and she will become a grandmother in October. So we're excited for Janet. And then, last but certainly not least, yesterday, George Renzis was 90 years old. George, where's the smile? Come on. <laughs> we do indeed celebrate and are thankful to have George in our midst and for you to uh, this wonderful milestone in your life. Would you all? Join me in prayer. Lord, you who have written on our hearts, have put your autograph there, have whispered your name and engraved it with color and depth, that we might know we belong to you in joy and in suffering, always. We call on your name with gratitude, great thanksgiving. We thank you for the privilege of being called to be part of a community of believers that we're allowed to to suffer together and to share in celebration together, to live and to die together. I'm thankful for the work of this congregation, its ministry uh, here and around the world. We're particularly thankful today for the work of the night ministry, for all that they do for adults and youth who are at risk and in, and in danger. And we pray for those to whom they minister, who live on the edges of life, who live in danger, who live in fear and uncertainty. We pray for them. Lord, we pray for those who long for healing and we celebrate with those who have found it. In the silence, hear the prayers of our hearts for those dear to us. Lord, we pray also for our community and our world, for promises made and for promises broken. 
We pray also knowing that you are a God of new beginnings. And that no broken promise on our part is ever a final no to you or a final end. For you are always at work, always ready to forgive and to make new. Loving God, hear us as we pray for our country, our community, and our world. Almighty God, we ourselves are broken people. And yet because you are always making things new. Hear our prayers for our dreams, for our broken dreams, for our hopes, and for those things that we lament. We call on you for discernment. We call on you for energy, for strength, for imagination, to be about your work in this world, to follow you faithfully as your disciples. Loving God. We pray this as we pray together the prayer your son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever.